Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. And before we jump in today, I'm thoughtful that I just this week I came up on my five year anniversary of doing podcasts. Um, we're coming closer to 200 podcasts. It was never meant to be something significant. It was just meant to be an opportunity to think aloud with friends who are doing really cool work that might allow us to think different about how we do our work as educators or how we might bring greater flourishing to our students in the classroom and in our schools and in the world. And, and I chose the title of the podcast, Digital Education, based on something I'd written a number of years ago, I think maybe up to seven years ago, in regards to the digital and physical mashup that's possible with learning. And at that time, what I felt was very much of the future of learning. And so we've gone through COVID, we've gone through a lot of different things with virtual learning. And, and I still think it's really, really, really significant in the sense that we think about not physical learning or virtual learning, but the combination of the two. And a couple of weeks ago, I was over at a friend's house for dinner. And I'm with Ben Beharin because out of that conversation came something really new to me. And it's given me a lot of fun with friends and then even just in my my own time of work. But but Ben Beharin is with me. He's the CEO and principal analyst at Creative Strategies. Um, I, I We could talk about the delight scale. We could talk about some of the other work, Ben, that you do, um, you know, in the tech industry in particular, but he's he's been at Creative Strategies since 2000. He covers consumer technology, personal computing devices, semiconductors, investments, and business strategy. His research has focused on the relationship be between humans and technology, and this is really where I want to dig in with, with Ben, seeking to understand what drives their behavior with products and services. And so, Ben, with a little bit of that introduction, and then at dinner, where Ben is a phenomenal chef, we had an opportunity to try out, and he had the opportunity to show me chat GPT and some of the open AI stuff. And then all of a sudden, like, that was my introduction, and the wave in the last couple of weeks has just taken off. And I've gotten to play with it with school leaders and educators and all of those Ben, we won't go much into ChatGPT or the OpenAI or the different versions or the different things there, um, but it is possibly not only a transformative tool, but also a disruptive tool, especially for us as educators. But I'd really love you to, to think aloud with us, and thanks for being here again, and thanks for always cooking great meals, is, is that interaction with ChatGPT, student learning, our work as a possibility, as an opportunity rather than a problem. Sure. Yeah. And it was fun. Like I, I was excited that this all was that I had access to this and, and I had been try, trying it in a little bit of a beta for a while, but um, just because I wanted to see your reaction to it for the first time. Like I like seeing people's face when they're like, I, I cannot believe this is, this is possible. And, and it's interesting because you know, th this has been a long time coming. Like we've we've talked about this idea of conversational AI or or generative AI for a long time, and it's just never really worked. Like if any of you have used uh, an Alexa or a Siri, 
you know, you try it and you're like, okay, it's, it's fine, but it's more command driven. It's not really conversational. I don't feel like I'm engaging with this in a way that my human brain is, is used to. And that's, that's really, I think the breakthrough for this. And, and obviously people have spent a bunch of time, um, kind of outlining, um, obviously what its limitations are because there are some, but also what its potentials are. And I think recognizing this as a is a pretty huge step function in the way of machine intelligence, um, the way that computers can take vast amounts of data, learn from them, and then put that into something that helps us is is a huge step forward with, with what they did. And this is really an early model. You know, this is going to evolve a ton over the next two to three years. And I think faster than most people um, truly, truly understand. And so that's, I think, the moment that we're in that I think everybody is trying to wrap their brains around, which is what 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 does this mean for, for really our future? Obviously, you know, within your context, and, and I think this is an important conversation about education. Um, you know, there's the workforce, there's different sets of vertical, right? What happens in finance? What happens in legal? You know, will people need paralegals anymore, right? I mean, there's just this interesting question of what's the human's role in, in a world where machines have this much data that they can assimilate and put into a form that is useful to you as a human in this kind of conversational and really automate stuff that took a really long time before and, and make it quicker. So I, I definitely think we're at, having seen that, now kind of go live in everybody's reaction. I think it validates what I had believed that this is this is really a a a transformative moment, you know, a, a disruptive moment to to use this term that I think you're going to look back, you know, 10 years from now kind of like you looked at the iPhone or the internet and we're like, wow, this this changed everything. Like that's the moment I think we just saw with what OpenAI is doing. And again, it's right. It's not just chat, it's image generation. There's creativity elements of this. There will be video. Like you'll be able to say, make me a video that does that, this, 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 and this, and it'll create animations for you. Like the really interesting implications of this going forward that are exciting. But I think this is one of those moments that we'll kind of look back on as this, this where we're at in 10 years, it all started with this kind of thing that we just saw happen. And so in that, I mean, put, put yourself in that situation because you mentioned a different, a bunch of different, you know, avenues. And when we were together, we tried poetry, we tried essays. Um, I've since tried um, job descriptions. We've yep. done Christmas letter greetings, um, yep. you know, kind of uh, stand up. I tried to stand up because I'm not funny. Tried stand up comedy routine. Right. And so it's like, you know, so there's so many things that what are some of those other things like just to, you know, even as people try it out, like what are some of those other things that you've tried where it's like, I can't believe it did this. I can't believe. Yeah. I mean, there, there, again, there's a lot of basic stuff that sort of come in, comes into this. Like I've tried um, do, having it run like sample marketing company. I'd say I've got a product that does these five things really well, create for me a marketing plan, create for me a press release. Um, some of the more interesting things are are also too like some summarizing articles. So like I've I've copied in like huge articles and I've said write me a ten point bullet point summary or a fifteen point bullet point summary on this articles and there comes a point in time where it starts to repeat itself. So I think you know just my understanding my limited no, knowing where it's useful versus then where does it then try to do too much like saying write ten thousand words it's going to duplicate itself right but there's a threshold that's actually useful. 
um, trying things like that. I've used it to try to create like summarizations of, of articles for tweets. So that if I was like, Hey, I just wrote this, or I did this research and I want to turn this into a tweet thread, give me those tweets. And I might still edit it, but it's a great time save, right? It didn't take me 30 minutes. It took me a few minutes and then I just edit it. So, you know, it's, it's pushing the envelope there. Others have been using it to do some, um, some visual stuff. So they're combining it with open AI's also image generation called, called Dolly. And they'll say, create for me a science fiction world, outline it, and then give me the prompts for, um, for, for image generation. And it'll give you how you might ask it. You just copy paste it. You throw it into your, your image image generator and it's creating for you worlds, it's creating for you scenarios, landscapes, et cetera. So I, I think it's important to, to look at this both in the terms of productivity and creativity, because I think those two things will come together in this concept of generative generative AI. And, and there might be more than just than the, just just those two buckets. Um, but I like to see how the envelope is being pushed there. Because again, we do need to understand its limitations. Its limitations will evolve and those will no longer be limitations. And there will always be some, some limitations. But I think really just recognizing what can this thing do? Like what's its potential? How many vectors of our of our of our universe will change because of this you know how might the sciences use it for research like we're looking at how to do it for research and one of the things i can't do yet but i assume i will be someday is just upload it an excel file and if i upload an excel file can i ask it questions of the data and say hey give me compare and contrast these two statistics or something right there's there's tons of way that's just going to save you monotonous laborious time and recognizing how it's going to be used for that, like if you needed an intern or you needed just data junkies, like you might not need those people anymore, right? It's it's a different sort of way to think about information and how you use it to your advantage. And that's that's that moment that we're in is really figuring out where can this go and then what's the world going to look like? I guess that's what I think is the most important. Like what might the world look like and our role in it in five or 10 years when this evolves quickly, because it's going to evolve quickly on a year over year basis. And, and just, we need to start thinking about that now. We don't want to get caught behind. I, at least I don't. And so th being in that conversation now, I think is, is some of the most important kind of early work as we use it. Well, no, I appreciate that because I think, you know, some of it is, as you introduced it to me, there was a little bit of a like shock and surprise that I didn't fully know what to do. And I was really looking forward to dinner. So it was like, okay, I got to take this and process it a little bit and, 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 and just play around with it. And that's what I've been encouraging people. So when you think about like looking ahead, right. And I think that's some of it is like, sometimes we react so much we react and this seems to have just like jumped on us and we have this opportunity to actually play with it and use it and look ahead and get creative in our own thought. And you're a parent of a senior in high school. Um, we've talked on the on the podcast before about your own learning experience as a student in high school, and in particular, you know, growing up and and how you know maybe school wasn't always your favorite place to be, other than friends and some of the things you got to do with them. But then the classroom wasn't always you know the most productive and helpful for you in your own learning. And so when we think ahead, help us as someone who is in the midst of education, but looking on the outside of education, help us think through or maybe think aloud with us of like, hey, as we look ahead, what are the things that we might want to be asking or looking at or trying or discovering? Yeah. For, and, and from an educator's standpoint or just in general, what do and you think? Both. Educators yeah, yeah. So I'll, both. I'll, 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 
I'll start from the education standpoint, just because that's, you know, your your primary audience. Um, you know, I, I think this is the kind of thing where we really need to reevaluate how we validate true learning, not information, not one's ability to Google, not one's ability to write, but but true learning. Um, and and I think that's a, a process that is is going to require a, a, a rethinking of what we ask our students to deliver as examples of of their true learning. Um, you know, e, e, let's just look at this from an example of computer science that I think is super interesting. Right, there's kids out there who had been who who have been spending time in college learning how to write code by hand, line by line. ChatGPT allows you to just say write me a JavaScript file that does this, this, and this, and this, and it will output you code. You can then copy that put code and paste it in, write the next form of your formula. So, so the question is, do you even need to learn how to write code anymore, right? Because computers are good at that. Like that's a great at, at spitting out math and spitting out code. But that doesn't mean that your, your ability to use it for your end goal, which is really the whole point of coding, right? You have an idea. I want to make an app. I want to write software. I want to, I need to do this, right? You, you, the human still have to have the vision and the goal. What this is going to allow you to do is just take the fu the functions of how do you get to that goal and automate a lot of processes that would have taken you a really, really long time, you know, hours. I mean, some, some software code that's out there is millions of code long. You mean, just imagine how long it takes humans to write millions of code that can all be automated now. So the pace of software development can speed up, the pace of innovation can speed up, the pace of anything, right, can speed up. And so I think recognizing that that doesn't change that the person still has to understand a basic foundation of how to get to their end goal using code, but they may not need to know how to write every bit of that code. They might have the software tools to do it, to debug it, to test it, to make sure their vision is aligned and then alter it if they need to. Um, same with science, right? Think about research. Think about how much data hounding goes into clinical science today, right? Even a lot of the stuff that you've been through in the medical position, like what if research can be sped up? What if five years of research can happen in six months now because of this? Like that's that's huge. And, and that's the kind of stuff that when you can take a giant model, a giant database of model of information, whether that's a model that you have, right? So say that that your your doctors or your medical facility could take all of the data they have, throw it into this thing, and now all of a sudden have it learn, compile all of that, and then be used in a generative way to to accentuate their what they want to do is just going to save a ton of time, right? So code, math, you know, you name it. Like one of the things my, my daughter, similar to me, struggles in math, and so I was basically writing out her. Um, uh, her her math problems into chat GPT to ask for formulas. Now, what it did was it would solve the problem, but I wanted to know why I wanted it to teach us this, this thing. So, so ask it a question. Well, you, you used the, this, this formula here to get this outcome. Why, why did you need to do that? Like, what was the process? And so there's, there's still learning that's happening there. Even if I'm using this to augment Again, teachers don't have infinite time, right? You can't one-to-one -one all of your students all of the time. But what if this thing can help augment some of that so that you guide, you guide that process? Yes, they'll have this tool, but they can kind of get that learning and then they need to then demonstrate that in a in a in an ineffective way. So I think all of those things come to a point that we need to consider, which is 
what, what do people even need to learn today? Because I would still question that the vast majority of things being taught are unnecessary in a world of artificial intelligence that's going to come faster than anybody thinks. But that doesn't mean that you still need to learn really good foundations of knowledge, understanding of how things work, basic principles. But if that's the case, we, we kind of need to rethink what, what we want to teach them in the world where they're going to have these tools versus you know, what, what, what they're teaching today. Right. And so I think it is going to fundamentally change. And that's why I've sort of come back to this, just thinking through my, from my kid's standpoint, because again, my, my daughter wants to go into environmental research um, and she's a sophomore in college. And so I've been saying like, look, this, this is going to make a lot of your life simpler when it comes to the data plotting that you're going to be asked to do as an intern this summer. Like that's probably a dead skill, but your ability to ask the right questions, to come up with creative queries, to really try to think process-wise it is going to be the human skill that differentiates you from this computer that can just spit out nice you know nice knowledge and algorithms and do a lot of the laborious work that humans had to do and so that's that's what i think is exciting but it's also like i think educators and and our process of education has to recognize that and then say well what then is the most worthwhile of our time to actually teach people when some of these lower rudimentary skills are just going to be automated. And I, lo I love that because there's a place for wisdom discernment, you know, in this process as we go through it and ask, yeah, I love how you said asking the right questions. So, so in the tech industry, like, you know, and in the world that you kind of work in where this is kind of coming out of, because of this, what are even some of the broader questions that like in your world and in the tech industry that that you're asking that might also help us to think forward or look forward even in our educational space? Yeah, and, and I think a lot of it, it, it's still coming back to what's what's the human's role in um, in a lot of these things, right? So there's there, there's there's really good questions, you know, like I said, coming back to I mean, how many programmers do you really need, right? If you're running a software business, how many engineers do you really need when some of this can just be done and and automated, right? Um, companies may not need to be as large. I mean, I think that's a, a real possibility that you don't need companies that have 200,000 people, you know, any anymore, right? And so that's that's where I think this this is important. But but I want to I want to take it back to this this point about about the question because even in today's world, it's pretty shocking to me how many people are not great at Google, like just can't get the results they want because they don't know how to phrase a question. And that's with something that's been around for almost 20 years, right? But but what happens is you ask kids today to do research on the internet and their ability to use Google is far superior than those who kind of grew up when the internet was starting. So just, just use that again today, right? This moment that we're in is going to require how do you as the human uh, get the most value from the technology and just carry this forward that this is a new form of search. It's a new form of content creation. It's a new form of, of everything, right? That's that, that was this idea of Google. Those kids today that learn how to control the query and get the most out of the tool by their mind's creativity by their their dominion over that tool is going to yield the best results and that's what's going to set them apart from peers and and those are the skills that i think we've got to be thinking about across the board from coding to software management to marketing you know it's just think about how much time and this is where i think the real question and everybody is always 
sort of had this debate, right? Because we all believe artificial intelligence gets more gets more intelligent. It starts to possess human-like conversational skills. That's what we're seeing. The question is, will an AI ever truly be creative like a human is? And that's kind of the, the, the debate, right? And this, this goes lots of different ways, right? And I've seen people on both sides of this fence that say, yeah, sure, it'll, it'll be able to, to write kind of movies that people think, right? But let's just say that it, let's just say that there will be, there will continue to be limitations that humans will, will be more superior from a creativity standpoint. Well, so, but then the question is, how do you then use that for your advantage? If you're a marketing person, right? You may not need, five ad agencies that spend a million dollars. You might be able to use your ideas and automate marketing or automate image marketing or automate a campaign. And so do you need all you, what you might need is people to execute that campaign because the AI may, may not do it, but you don't, you may not need a team of 15 people to do creative, you know, whatever advertising, right. It's et cetera. So there's, there's points of that where I think is important, but, but I, I do think this element of, What's the human's creativity? And that, again, that comes back to research, to science, to asking the right question, to having the right thesis, to to, to what drives us and then use the tool to our advantage it is probably going to skew more in that direction, which is the dominion of the tool from a creative, critical thinking, all of these things. Like Those are some of those skills that I think are going to reign supreme, not, not just can you grammatically write a sentence correctly. Like That's fine. You should, you should know that. But you should also recognize computers are going to take care of that. We just need to make sure that that we're getting the most out of it for our goal, whatever that goal is, and we're essentially managing it right correctly. Because well, so somebody said this, and I, and I thought this was an interesting observation, which was, you know, people were saying, you know, hey, will this replace, um, you know, five hundred smart people? No, what this replaces is the monotonous, the monotonous duplication of work. So if you just had a bunch of minions research minions, finance minions, legal minions, if you had all of that in unlimited resource, treat the think about the tool that way. Now what could you do with unlimited kind of people at your disposal to just do whatever your your vision is, your business idea, your uh, you know, your educational plan, whatever, right? Use it in that capacity. And that's that's where I think this tool evolves to. It's going to have its limitations. We can use it to our mass advantage, but we use it like we have an army of people at our disposal to, to help us accomplish our goal. Well, and it's been interesting me for me, especially when you think about that in the education realm, how possibly it creates, you know, a, a more even playing field too, or equity where it's like, if, if, you know, if I go to this school and then I pay for tutors or I pay for this, like you are, you know, even somebody brought up the idea of homework, right? Homework we know in education is, is, is very much based on, you know, the success in homework is is a lot of it is based on um, socioeconomic status or what is actually happening in the home and what sort of resources that you have at home. And so there is this place of, you know, creates equity and opportunity or greater equity and opportunity for more people to access the knowledge or access the information or access the learning opportunities in that. I have a friend who's using it to tutor him in Italian. I have another friend that's yep. that's using it to, um, you know, like you said, you, your daughter with with math. He was he he wasn't real strong in math, and and he's doing some basic statistics because it helps him better understand the work that he has to lead and do. 
Um, so it better creates the conversations for him to know how to step into those places. I, I do want to touch on one thing because I, I get this from educators all the time. And I, I have been reading some articles, you know, and it depends on what era you come from. You know, I'm, I'm 1980s, I suppose, when I think about some of this stuff. And, you know, somebody mentioned Hal from War Games. And then we got Skynet from Terminator. <laughs> Like, is, is this something from an ethical perspective? And I, maybe that's where I want to, I want to like, and you use that term dominion. And I think of stewardship a lot of times is what's the ethical responsibility as we step into this to have dominion with it and over it, but then also to steward it responsibly um, for, for our own good, but for the good of others too. Yeah. And, and I think it's an important part of this conversation and, 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 when it comes just back to something like chat GPT um, it's always encouraging because the the founder of that Sam Altman has, has had these kind of public conversations where this has come up and, and it's nice because he and the team are also always thinking about what are the unintended consequences of this? Like where could this go and, and where might we be concerned? So it's not, they're not naive to that. It's not like they're just throwing this out there and just going, look at it. They're getting caught up in the technology. Like they're they're well aware of of kind of where some of these limitations um, are, and then how can you put safeguards or at least, you know, help people understand that and do so and, and move so ethically. Um, you know, and again, there's there's lots of parts of this, right? I mean, I can see how from an educator standpoint, they're like, well, it makes it really easy to cheat. And yeah, I mean, but the reality is if your benchmark of them proving that they know something is just to hit a target, then they're going to, they're going to shortcut that anyway. Like they're not actually trying to learn anything. They're just trying to get a grade, move on. I mean, how much, how, if you're not an an engineer, why, why are, again, why are kids going through calculus in my opinion? Like there's just no, there's just no real point. Now that doesn't mean that they don't need a basic understanding of math, but but why should they be penalized because they're not good at math with something they're never going to use again in their life and maybe miss out on a better grade and not, not the scholarships that they need for college because they're being asked to just hit a, hit a benchmark, you know, basis of knowledge and then they're, they're going to forget it. Right. So I, I think that's where, again, recognizing how to change the, the bar of what the goal is in any of these things, sorts, sorts of help, right. Areas that I think are really interesting is, is less about the text part to be honest with you, it's more about images and video. So like one of the things that gets brought up a, a, a lot is like I said, like you're seeing people be able to do these things called deep fakes, right? Which means that you can make yourself look and sound like another human being. Well, it's 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 morally responsible for the technology companies to basically have a way to watermark that. So anytime that's created, it states it's fake because you can't have people being misled by misinformation or 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 or, uh, or a lack of reality because they're fooled by the computer or by something or their eyes right so i think we have a a moral responsibility to do to do this to some degree with text but also with images and video that help people distinguish what was automated by the computer and what was made by a human and parts of that i think come back to you know, th- there obviously should be a way, like, let's just say in today's education world, right, that if you ask your student to write an essay based on these prompts, well, if they use the computer, 
there should be some way that it's disclosed that they used the computer, right? Did they use it for research? Did they do whatever? Did they just plagiarize it? You, the teacher, could essentially take the digital information, run it through said thing and say, was this plagiarized? Like, again, there's ways to combat those tools. But I, I think, again, it comes back to how to use it to your advantage. But but more importantly, I do think we need, in, in an era of misinformation, right, where people are just drastically led astray because they cannot separate uh, the truth from reality, that's just going to get so much worse in an AI world when the lines of your vision are, are 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 blurred with reality and things look like they're humans talking that aren't humans talking, right? Or looks like it was written by a human, but it's not. And I, I just think we have a moral obligation to disclose that. How that happens, I don't know. But I know we would be better off as long as we know this was made by a human and this was made by a computer. No, I, I love it because, you know, there's so many times where I think it goes into just the silly ways. You know, there was what that Steph Curry shot where he was making those full length court shots. Yep. And it was like, yep. and people are like, oh, this is so amazing. Isn't he amazing? It's like, no, it's made up, right? You know, it's really cool and it's a great, right. and that's, you know, right. kind of from the silly and the fun all the way to some of these things that we worry about when we think about, you know, politics and and just our our cultural and social right. cohesion right you know where where we've dealt with misinformation and purposeful misinformation that that has gone there and so you know it is becoming wise to that it is becoming um i think i, I think apparent with with what those things that are have been created you bring up like the deep fakes it always reminds me of running man right you know from from when i was a kid yeah. arnold schwarzenegger movie um yeah. But so last question, last question, like, you know, as, as you think, and you've given, you, you've really hit on some incredible points and, and some incredible wonderings and incredible things like, you know, about purpose of education and what we're thinking about and how we're doing it and, and what actually really brings learning to life and then how to integrate that, you know, human and technology. Like it, it, it I mean, I guess like last thing, last question is what would be, you know, as you think about this and you grew up in Silicon Valley, you know, and you've seen kind of the evolution of what, what it's really become now. Um, but for tech and in and, and this connection of the human and technology, what would be your hopes? What would be your hopes that like when, when you're an old man and, you know, a number of years like, hey, this is this is what this is exciting. And look at what I got to see, live through, be a part of, you know, and and then help build. Like what gets you excited for, yeah. for this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think right, I, I've I've always come at this from a right, there's always the the camps that are, oh, this is scary, I should worry, this is the worst thing. And then there's right, the the optimist's view, which is that this is just gonna help. This is a great tool that's going to help make all of our lives better in some way. And, and that's always been technology, right? You go back to the invention of the personal computer. There were people who were like, oh, it's just a game. It'll never amount to anything. And then there were people who were like, no, you're going to do all your work on this. It's going to make your lives easier. You're going to be able to do math and statistics. And it's going to save you all this time that you had to do handwriting. And then the internet right, came around. People are like, this is going to break us, you know, turn us into a dystopian reality, like all this stuff. But really it was... It was it was a foundational of the world was built on those fundamental technologies. And, and I really feel like, like I said, this is one of those moments. This is one of those, 
invention of the personal computers, invention of the internet, invention of the iPhone type moments. And it's not just going to be open AI. Lots of companies are doing this. Like there's this, this spurs a platform, a, a pivotal moment where lots of new stuff gets built on this new foundation of, of mass um, machine learning and AI's ability to, to become generative and conversational in that, in that capacity with, with that data. So I, I think it's just understanding now that we've hit this inflection point and now how do we use that to our advantage, right? Cause I always come back to like, I'm an advocate of human flourishing as a whole, but technology is a part of human flourishing, right? It, it's our ability to waste less time. What, what if this means we get more time at home with families or more time at, with friends or more time doing the things we love out in the world because we're able to get so much value? What if it makes everything better as a part of where we're going? And, and I think the moral points we talked about have to be always be considered, but I like looking at this as how is this going to help humanity? Maybe this is a huge step for developing economies to rise third world countries or more poor um, individuals out of that, right? What, what if a, a a guy sitting in a, a part of Africa today can use this to write the next great software app and he doesn't have to learn all that code. You know, he's just got a good idea or a good business idea or, or, or something, right? And so those are the things where I'm excited because I think this is going to help push our, our abilities um, as humans more. But yes, we have to steward that. We have to be responsible with it. But I like looking at the potentials and knowing that this is one of those moments, like a PC, like the internet, like the iPhone, means that 10, 15 years from now, that work that goes in right now, you'll be able to look back on and say, you know, we played some role, whatever that was, we played some role in a transformative moment between humans and technology. Ben, this has been so much fun and it'll be fun to continue these conversations and to even continue yeah. to, to see what comes up and, and to test yeah. it out. So um, what, what you know, just to close up, what would be places where people can follow you and, and, and connect? Yeah, so our anything I write and publish um, goes to our website, creativestrategies.com. Um, I'm on Twitter I know there's now there's nowadays all controversy about where they're going to be on Twitter with uh, with Elon Musk owning it or if Twitter's going to die. But I'm still on Twitter, post posting tweets. Um, between those two places, anything I I publish or or write about is is going to get exposed. And and anywhere where I'm on a, on a podcast or do a video podcast with people, I, I put on Twitter as well. So um, yeah, so it's usually the easiest. Th those two places are are easy to follow. Anything I do. And then, and then what's the, what's the, the next meal that you're working on perfecting? Um, well, I, I, it's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I wanted to, I've, I've been toying with the beef Wellington, but then I'm also like, now it's just too much work. Nobody's going to friggin' do the beef Wellington. Um, I'm pretty happy with a stew which you'll have to try sometime. Pretty, I'm pretty sure I've nailed this beef stew now in a in a really really good way. Um, yeah, I mean the, the the Wellington would be one. I think now that I've conquered the pizzas, which you had, which actually brings up an interesting point about creativity. Because prior to you coming over, like an hour before, I said, "What are some?" Because I made you write a, a margarita pizza, right? And I said, "What are some creative?" I asked ChatGPT, "What are some creative ideas to elevate a margarita pizza?" And do you want to know what it gave me? Pineapple. 
And I was like, dude, having a tongue is a differentiator in chat GPT because there's no world. And I'm not totally opposed to pineapple, but in no world should pineapple go on a margarita pizza. And so there's just like the the broad, like, how can you use this for 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 ideas? Um, but yeah, once we conquered pizzas, that was a, pr a pretty big one too. So, I mean, I'd say it's Wellington. I'm just, I'm just so, I'm so worried about the process. The process scares me. Like for, is it worth the effort? Um, but yeah, that, that may be it. Well, Ben, I, I love it. I love eating with you. I love talking with you. And thanks for spending time with us prompting our thinking. Anytime. Happy to do it.